Is welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. Uh, welcome to the Good Writing Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on today's episode, we sit down with John Treefree, uh, the founder of Inside the Castle, writer of books such as Platts and Apparitions of the Living, and he. We have a discussion about Claude Simone's uh, triptych and a article about space-time surgery. Um, I still do not know what the academic article was about, um, but it was a good episode. It was fun. Yeah. And it, this is, as longtime good, good Writing Podcast listeners will recall, Ben is a huge fan of John's John's indie house uh, inside the castle. So it was a real, real pleasure to get to watch Ben, get to, get to talk with someone so important to him. Yes, it was very fun for me. Um, I, Emily, I think you had fun too, but um, there's definitely a point. It was an interesting po- one. It was an interesting <laughs> yeah. one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, a, it's a cool episode. John's a really cool guy. The, John, once again, if you're listening, thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, but yeah, it, excellent stuff. It goes to some really crazy places, you know, as you might expect from him. It, it does not disappoint. So I hope you all enjoy. Enjoy the episode. Hi everybody! Hi everybody, and hey. hello to John. Our guest. We have a guest today, John Tree, Tree Free. Welcome. Hello. Hi, John. Uh, you may know John as someone that I have talked about uh, relentlessly on the podcast before, as he is the founder of the Inside the Castle publisher, um, a publisher of literature in the expanded field, as it is termed. Um, and he is also the writer of such books as Platts and Apparate and uh, thou de- Thy Decay Thou Seest by Thy Desire and Apparitions of the Living. Um, he's an excellent writer, an excellent editor, and an all-around very interesting person. And I'm very honored to have him here on the podcast today. Thank you and welcome, John. Woohoo! It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Um, excellent. Regular podcast listeners, you may recall Inside the Castle as the indie publisher that Ben brings up at least once every couple of episodes that I have mm-hmm. on occasion called Ben a simp for. Regular well, listeners, you are listening to Ben tune in live from his dreams at this time. It's true. It's true. <laughs> no denying. No denying at all. Oh, I hope that's meant as a compliment. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm okay. proud of him. He's living <laughs> his dreams. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because in in my circles, which is a very small diameter of me, uh mm-hmm. Ben is known as the person who owns all of our books. Mm-hmm. And as far as I know, it's the only person on earth other than myself who does. So we wow. we are yeah, you and I yeah. are are a circle. Yeah, we're a, a one circle Venn diagram. <laughs> oh, I love it. I I hope there is more overlap between us than just owning those books. But that's a good place to start. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. But yeah, um, welcome, John. Um, and as we usually do on this podcast, uh, usually we start off the episode with talking about how little writing that me and Emily have gotten done over the past week. Um, but since that kind of goes without saying at this point we since we have a guest we would rather ask you um what is it like for you when you sit down to write like what is your writing process either what does that look like right now what does that look like before when you when you are writing what gets you into your headspace oh geez um well let me just say that there's no shame in not having accomplished much in a week because (laughs) you know life is is potentially rather long so i think there's a sense (laughs) these days that People need to be busting out entire completed works like once a year or or perhaps people are are publishing even more than that or Mm -hmm. having stuff on web pages every few months. Mm -hmm. That just doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's a contemporary manufactured problem. And I don't I don't feel like people should worry so much about that. And perhaps I'm just like an apologist for myself who in 20 years has written two books <laughs> but <laughs> i I'm, I'm comfortable with it and i i don't feel like there's anything to be ashamed of so mm-hmm. give give your give yourselves a break and uh, <laughs> there will say. be there there will be another week and then another week after that and <laughs> you just pick away at whatever is going on with you so <laughs> thank you i was just going to say as for me uh I I have also not written a tremendous amount uh, in the past week. I, mm-hmm. 
And also, as you, you asked me how my weekend was before we started recording, I don't know what day it is. So uh, <laughs> I also don't know. I also don't know how long the week has been or like when last week was or anything like that. So that's also helpful in fooling yourself into thinking that you're accomplishing a lot is to just not be especially tethered to the passage of time. <laughs> Disconnect generally from the uh, from temporal relation. That, that's a, yeah. <laughs> like, oh my God, I've written so much. Oh, wait a minute. That's been two years that I'm thinking of. <laughs> oh, well, that's excellent. Uh, that's, a, that's a good advice, listeners. I, I think we should all take that to heart as we go forward. Yeah. Uh, don't feel like you're writing enough. Well, consider that in the wide span of things. Um, yeah. 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 Very cool. Um, turn. I have, I have <laughs> been having fun with, with what I'm working on at the moment, <laughs> though. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, what am I doing? I had finished, I guess I, I, I will just mention that since we, we talked before, um, mm-hmm. the, the aborted version of our first recording. Yeah. Um, ghost haunting I was podcast. working on, <laughs> yeah, I was working on something then that was, it was about Anna Akhmatova reading Rob Grillet's, um Last Year at Memory and Bad book mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all the attendant things going on in, in my thickened constellation of what what is relevant to that that little kernel of knowledge was that that was the last book that she read in her life before she died and mm. um it kind of spanned into somehow me writing about these awful Italian exploitation movies mm. <laughs> and uh uh you know just kind of all over the map relative to that little kernel of an idea and I finish that and put it on neutral spaces where I tend mm-hmm. to shove most things that I finish these days. Cause I'm not, I'm not really trying to like publish, mm-hmm. play the publish game. So oh, I just stick, stick things on there when I finish them. <clears throat> um, but since then I have started another thing, which is, as, as I mentioned before, I, the book I'm working on right now is, basically exists in its completed form, its entire completed form Mm -hmm. as a set of WordPad or Notepad uh, Mm -hmm. files, Microsoft Mm -hmm. Notepad, um, that over maybe three or four years of reading and and developing the book, I've kind of, I think I have named and archived all of the Notepad files that will um, compose the book. Um, many of them are empty, but they have titles. So, mm, um, okay. and they're all in, di- they're all in different folders that are kind of organized based on like their relationship to the overall kind of schema of, mm-hmm. of the book. Mm-hmm. And so the, the one that I'm working on now was in a folder of Russian paintings from the 19th century that um, I I just have a bunch of paintings, like images Mm -hmm. of paintings. And what I've been doing is opening each one of them in Photoshop and opening up a notepad file with the title of the painting next to it. Mm -hmm. And then zooming in on the painting, like basically like as if you were taking a loop like you, mm-hmm. you would use in looking at photographic proof sheets or something yeah. and just looking at the painting piece by piece rather than the whole. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm doing that. And it's um, this particular one is, I don't, I can't speak Russian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to say the, 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 the painter's name, um, mm-hmm. but I think that the painting is named like the road of the war prisoners or something. And if, if you look at the entire painting, zoomed out it's just like a snowy field with some maybe like a telegraph line like with some utility poles and a telegraph line going back in perspective into the landscape and then there's like some kind of vaguely snow covered maybe corpses or something like that and then some crows sitting on the the telegraph line okay but when i zoomed into it like the the image that i downloaded was I guess not very high resolution. Um, mm-hmm. 
So it was more pixelated, or maybe I zoomed in more than I usually do. And so I, I somehow have ended up just writing about like this imaginary form of perception that is highly pixelated and like you you um it's kind of related to that that idea of the Gansfeld effect of like staring at a blank color for a long time and starting to hallucinate images into it and hmm. um I, I yeah it's just yeah. <laughs> right writing about that wh whatever that means I don't know um <laughs> it's not it's not necessarily about anything but mm -hmm. something is materializing out of it. Um, so yeah, I've, I've been enjoying working on that. Yeah, in that, couple weeks, I guess. That, that's really interesting. So it's kind of a semi-ecrastic thing, um, but part of what you're oh, yeah. responding to in it is not just the artwork itself, but the like ways in which the artwork has been interpreted by your computer since you found this kind of low-resolution version of it. If I'm understanding you correctly, like yeah, yeah. Right, right on for sure. That's yeah. that's exactly right, and it's it, that's different than how the other these other painting things that I've done have kind of ended up. Um, where the thing that I am zooming in on, kind of in Photoshop, you can always zoom into the pixel level and see everything pixelated. Mm -hmm. I guess I just haven't I haven't done that previously, or yeah, perhaps this is low res, so like the more Control Plus. <laughs> times I hit that, uh, or the the fewer uh, it gets into the pixel level mm -hmm. faster. But yeah, previously I've done. Um, I think it was one that was like it was pretty famous, and, and I'm probably totally misremembering. I think it might be Ivan the Terrible murders his son or something like that. And it's it's mm -hmm. this really horrible painting of like mm -hmm. this horrible like specter ghost of a man clutching this younger man like with blood coming out of his head and mm -hmm. zooming on on that it was like you know most of the time I was spending looking at the furniture in the background and the carpet and stuff and mm -hmm. not on the, <laughs> the actual subject mm -hmm. of the painting it's like uh, I don't know if you've ever tried to do that map thing online where you can pick a spot and find the opposite side of the earth from it but it's like it's always in the water, the opposite mm -hmm. side of the earth. It's like mm -hmm. almost always in the water. That's like how looking at these paintings are. It's like most of the painting is not what people are actually concerned about, but I end up writing about that mm -hmm. stuff that nobody's concerned about. So, I mean, if you're saying you're writing about the stuff that nobody's concerned about, I, I, I want to ask them, like, what... It, it, what draws you to that? Is it just because it's the type of thing that isn't being examined elsewhere, or is it, is there something in it that you feel like you're seeing that maybe isn't being noticed as much as it should be? That is a good question. That's probably it. Probably goes uh, in both directions. Um, mm -hmm. I tend to, or at least in this book, and I guess previously, I have tended not to really think about what people want to read about um, mm -hmm. and more think of my own interests in terms of how, how I put words together and mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not, not, not overly fixated on subject matter, although I do have mm -hmm. subjects that are interesting to me. Mm -hmm. And in this book in particular, I, I've not limited myself to any subject in particular, or any time frame, it's really pretty wide-ranging. And similar to the process with ViDK, which was like an internet collage, this this book is kind of a subject collage. A lot of things, you know, it kind of just hopscotches around through a lot of different issues or concerns or, or subjects that I feel are, are born out of the initial kernel of the book, which is about Osa Mandelstam and Anna Akhmatova and Marina Saseva, who I can't say any of their names, so don't don't hate me for that. But the idea is that the three of those Russian poets, plus Mandelstam's wife, all live in a suburban house together outside of Atlanta, and that's that's the, <laughs> the whole idea of the book. Um, but then there's just you know. An in, in infinite uh, kind of flowchart or tree of 
what subjects can be drawn from that initial kernel of an idea from their lives, mm. from from exurban sprawl in Atlanta to mm. Stalinist Russia to what have you. So mm-hmm. it's pretty wide open. Are there things that, that grab me more than other things? Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I have I have interests. But I, I would say that the reason I, I would look at something in the background of a painting like that is not because I want to write something that people have overlooked or are not interested in, but I want to challenge myself to not write about things that exist <laughs> or... <laughs> Have been um, overwritten or have, like, yeah. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I'm not interested in storytelling at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not interested in, you know, for, for the sake of the podcast, I, I'm actually not particularly interested in good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, maybe it's a mistake to have me on here. I don't know. But <laughs> um, it's if if you're looking at a blank screen with a pixelated sky and you're trying to figure out, what you're supposed to say about it, you mm-hmm. have to really summon something um, mm-hmm. out of that. And kind of, I, I was telling Grant Meyerhofer the other day, I, I sent him a paragraph or whatever from what I'm working on. He he asked me what my process for it was, and I, I described it as thickening. So you take mm-hmm. like this initial kind of little tidbit and you just start smushing and smushing and thickening and thickening and adding and adding Almost like, and I've I've kind of started doing this, but like you're writing a math equa- equation with a bunch of parentheses, and like you start nesting and nesting and nesting, and as you go through that, you know the the things within certain parenthetical groupings become less and less attached to the things of the further reaches, and mm-hmm. kind of comes from that idea of a thick description. In um, I guess it's a sociological approach mm-hmm. where a thick description is is something that allows itself to be contradictory and acknowledging that there's not like a an institutional truth to anything mm-hmm. so the the writing process allows me to fold all of that stuff mm-hmm. together um mm-hmm. and as with that i feel like i've gotten to a parentheses really far away from the question that you asked me. <laughs> well, I, 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 <laughs> I don't remember what I was trying to say. <laughs> That's perfectly fine because I, I think you bring up a lot of interesting points. I, I, I wanna, I, I'd like to hone in on when you mentioned that you say you're not particularly interested in good writing as it would be termed. And I put air quotes around good writing because I, I think that's maybe what we're kind of referring to as maybe more traditional, like you say, storytelling or narrative involvement mm-hmm. or, or attempting to kind of like divot literature as like um, things that are, you know, separate from reality. But you are very clearly interested in writing um, as both a process and a like mechanical act and and the way that it'll, and as a form of expression that is unique to itself. So I I wonder like if maybe you could go into a little bit more just on that of like, if you're not interested in what you term good writing, what is it about writing specifically that you are drawn to as a, as a creative and a creator? Creative, Jesus, fuck that term. But as a creator, yeah. Yeah, creative is not a noun, I don't think. Yeah. But yeah. Um, as as a yeah, what, whoever I am, mm-hmm. what do you? That's Jesus, Ben. Um, <laughs> well, uh, I guess one thing that I'll bring up about good writing or good anything, not anything, but good. Well, yeah, maybe. Um, I, I have students, so I teach architecture design studio, mm-hmm. and students will always say to me, "Try free to what? Do you think this is good?" And well, I sound like a huge jerk, and they probably hate it. But I said, "Well, I don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what What are you trying to do?" Mm-hmm. And you can't just say something's good mm-hmm. um, until you know what they're trying to accomplish with it. So I think that's the, the trouble I have with <clears throat> the term good writing is mm-hmm. that it's kind of, at least in, in internet or Twitter speak, and I don't know what, what having an MFA is like or or the process of that. You, you both know each other from that world. So mm-hmm. I don't know if it's, if it is part of the same conversation, but there's, there's, it's kind of a euphemism for, concision, mm-hmm. 
clarity, crispness, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and following a certain kind of energy that is mm-hmm. is propulsive in some way. The, the idea of a hook at the beginning, the mm-hmm. idea of building on an, a, a trajectory and then a resolution and that the language associated with that is clear and that the author's intentions are clear, mm-hmm. even if it's highly ambiguous, that there's, there's a kind of crystalline voice to that ambiguity and that kind of strips it of its ambiguity <laughs> in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so is that good writing? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. It's good for what it's trying to do. But I think the concern I have is that there's also a huge kind of world of other goals that people might have with their writing that for it to be good at those goals, it would look incredibly different from that kind of um, agreed upon standard of goodness. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, when students show me a design project and they say, is this good? And I say, I don't know. It's like, are you trying to make it an uncomfortable building to be in? Are you trying to make it, you know, mm-hmm. there's, there's not, there's also not a right goal to have for any kind of creative project. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to, um, and you can critique the goal as much as you can critique the way that someone's um, bringing it to life. Yeah. Uh, I think they're, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're equal to each other. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I, I think about when I'm working in, in the, I guess this, what I'm doing now, I guess I would say is my fourth book, although I don't know that I consider IDK a mm-hmm. book mm-hmm. or whatever it is, but it's, mm-hmm. this will be the fourth bound thing that I will publish <laughs> if I do before I die. And they, they've all had very different goals and they all look pretty different and their their mm. prose approach is very yeah. different. Um and I I think that's okay to, to mm-hmm. set different goals for yourself and, and not try to feel like you're always living up to someone else's benchmark of what something's supposed to look like. Totally. Mm-hmm. Of course. Of course. Um and I think that's a good trans uh, Emily, I want to give you a chance to, to No, I think I was I was just brainstorming a transition myself, Ben. Okay. We're um, <laughs> I, I, I'm still on I, I just want to ask uh, another question uh potentially about inside the castle itself. Um just as an editorial um unit uh based on that. Um since you you know, you explained that you you're looking for these goals and I guess my question is what when you're looking to publish something or when you're reading submissions for Inside the Castle, what, what is it that you're looking for um, in those submissions and in those proposals, like as an editor, as someone that wants to publish the, this kind of literature that asks mm-hmm. and answers different questions and utilizes a different, like, propulsive base? That's great. That's great phrasing. I, well, I should note that uh, in the past several months, I've, I, do have a collaborator now with Inside the Castle, Mike oh, really? Correo, who's been oh, helping cool. me. Yeah, and he read, I guess, the, the remainder of my my to-read list recently, mm-hmm. and we're kind of making some decisions from that. And um, I trust him a lot, and I think that we have very similar outlooks. So I, I can't speak for him in terms mm-hmm. of what he's looking at, um, but... I would, uh, I think I have made this analogy or comparison before. Um, as someone who really likes metal music of mm-hmm. <laughs> me too, various <laughs> ilks, um, yeah, I, I guess what I look for when I'm reading a book is its guitar tone, not to just <laughs> totally seem like a, a complete idiot, but when I'm looking for, or, or, you know, looking for new things to listen to, on Bandcamp or whatever, um, mm-hmm. I'll usually listen to like the fourth song. So mm-hmm. if I'm listening to like, I'm looking for a new uh, slam record to listen to <laughs> or something, mm-hmm. uh, I'll go to I'll go to the fourth song because first of all, the first song is usually just like gurgling and screaming. So I don't I don't want to wade through mm-hmm. like the intro yeah. of that in order to 
yeah, before I get to the the music, um, mm-hmm. but also I'm interested in consistency. So mm-hmm. like, if you get to the the middle of an album, you know that ought to tell you a lot. And mm-hmm. um, I want to hear the guitar tone. I want to hear, make sure the person's not doing hardcore vocals or something mm-hmm. like that. Just hear how it's mixed and all of that. And I would say that my reading process is pretty similar. Mm-hmm. Um, for Inside the Castle. Not not in my personal reading practice. I still start reading books at the beginning and mm-hmm. read them like a normal human being would. Mm-hmm. But for for submissions, I kind of start in the middle because I want to get a sense mm-hmm. of its, you know, its meat its, and, and the tone of it and, and the, the texture of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I can just jump into a book in the middle and feel like I'm getting a sense of that, then that is something that at least makes it through to another round of consideration for me mm. because I'm not interested in books that, that you have to read in their mm-hmm. entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that all of our books are good. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> to read in their entirety, but the the project of Inside the Castle and the way that I would select things is is that they're things that that capitalize on the fact that they are books. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people read different things into that. I think a lot of people think that it means that well they can be super designy or, you know, mm-hmm. extravagant in, in those ways. Which mm-hmm. a lot of them are, but mm-hmm. to me at its heart, it has more to do with the fact that a book is something that exists in its entirety at once, and that as an object we can we can touch or experience different parts of it without needing to access it in a really temporal um, linear fashion. Mm-hmm. Not that they can't be. <laughs> I'm going to keep suggesting that, but that something about the way they're written the project of of why they are written has to do with their totality and not with some kind of internal trajectory that is striving for some kind of narrative conclusion or 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 you know a building on things that came before it Absolutely, I absolutely see that in what you published for sure, and I, I like the notion of things that are not uh, temporally tied. Um, that makes me think of uh, the first Castle Freak uh, one, Mike Klein's um, Lonely Men quote. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that massive tome is so you know you kind of can transition between it from page to page and and kind of get lost in it in that way. Um, and I think that that actually works as a good uh, transition point, or maybe it does, uh, to talk about quantum statistics and space-time surgery. Um, uh, and going to the reading. God, <laughs> what a weird, this is the weirdest choice. That <laughs> Truly. Okay, so John said well, you, have, you have to recall that that's not the only thing I sent you. Yes. 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 So Fair enough. Here on the Good Writing Podcast, we always make our guests choose the big topic of the week. So we, in order to come on the Good Writing Podcast as a guest, you have to say, this is a piece of good writing that I think we should analyze for, at, and, and talk about the craft of this. Um, and John has sent us two pieces. Um, the first one is physics excerpts. John, what? <laughs> tell us more. <laughs> I can't tell you more, I'm afraid, um, <laughs> because I don't understand it. But that's, mm-hmm. I think that's why I sent it to you. Um, this, this is a, I guess I would say it's something that is of interest to me, but I'm, I'm interested in it purely... I'm interested in it because it somehow characterizes the the tangible physical world that we live in, mm-hmm. but in a way that really means nothing to like uh, mm-hmm. as 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 lay people. Like yeah. you know, all, all of the I, I've read a lot of popular science books, like Brian mm-hmm. Greene's books, or you know, about string theory and stuff like that, and. Mm-hmm stuff about the nature of time and, and cosmology and, and all of that stuff, which I, I kind of get, but mm-hmm. it has also kind of prompted me to dig deeper, and that digging deeper is more 
I guess, an aesthetic thing, although it is conceptually interesting to me, like I said, that this is this is um, a peer-reviewed science mathematics article about some minute aspect of the nature of reality, but, mm-hmm. you know, different from something like gravity in a really general way where you're like, oh, yeah, I see that happening. Mm-hmm, <laughs> this mm-hmm. is like, uh, or no, I don't even understand anything about this. Um, and I think that's pretty, pretty incredible that, you know, there's a whole universe of, of human beings out there, you know, exploring mm-hmm. these aspects of our shared reality in, in really deep ways that, that is just like totally alien to us and mm-hmm. the, the things that they're discovering I think are alien to the way we perceive the world and then mm-hmm. in terms of our literary consciousness they're alien to the way we read because they have no artistry mm-hmm. in, in the conventional sense mm-hmm. um, if we're talking about good writing this mm-hmm. ain't it mm-hmm. um, they also have no pretensions to address anyone outside of like the 30 people on earth who could maybe mm-hmm. access this kind mm-hmm. of language. So that, that really, you know, it, it excites me as a writer because I guess I feel an affinity to that. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe a growing affinity. I think in the past I've, I've felt like I was kind of straddling between accessibility and pushing you know, on boundaries of what I, I thought things should look mm-hmm. like um mm-hmm. and currently i think i i just feel like i do not care um mm-hmm. i'm not trying to succeed i'm not trying to to have people read my book um mm-hmm. i don't care and so i'm just kind of excited by you know my own navel gazing which would be you know something for other people to to chastise but i i, I love it and that's how you you ask me how i get myself to sit down and work that's how because it's mm-hmm. something that excites me so this Mm -hmm. this paper is something that i think is very similar for that person who wrote it beyond that i also am kind of a jargon fiend like Mm -hmm. i love i love words like i i do not care what what they mean like i I remember actually architecture school obviously Mm -hmm. but the the school i went to in los angeles it was a pretty kooky school. Um, it was not part of the university. It was in a warehouse in Marina del Rey. And mm. it, uh, I took a poetry class. And my, my poetry teacher was not an architect. She was a poet. And she always just encouraged us to get very specific. Like, mm. uh, one thing that I can remember is, like, you go outside and you smell a plant or a tree or something. What species is it? Like, use, use the words to describe the thing that you're talking about, don't just say a tree, tell us what kind of tree it is. So that has kind of like gotten me really interested in the specificity of words mm-hmm. that mean exactly what they're supposed to mean and that are not, they're not generic words. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's kind of like, it, it is both contrary to what I've been talking about in terms of like writing being like this thing that's, isn't it contrary? I don't know. I guess what, it, what to me what it is is that it excites me because it's highly specific, but it also excites me because it is alienating and mm-hmm. it allows for things in a text that you don't have to know. And I won't. I'm not going to look them up. Like mm-hmm. if I'm reading a book and I see a word I don't know, I'm not going to look it up. I just want it to be part of the world that I'm experiencing. Mm. Done. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm looking around my office right now. I don't, I don't know things about it. I built this mm-hmm. room, but you know, <laughs> I don't know all about the wood grain and the paneling. I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I haven't looked inside the light switch and, and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm okay with not knowing things. And I think that some of the, the excitement for jargon and jargon for me is that kind of unknowable quality. And in, in some of these words, like even if you looked them up, you still wouldn't know <laughs> what they meant. But like it's going to send you down a hole. Yeah, go ahead, Emily. I just want to jump in. I want to read the first sentence of the abstract just to, so that listeners can like, I think even just the very first sentence of this paper really demonstrates what you're talking about, John. Okay. 
Quantum Statistics and Space-Time Surgery by Yuvin Wang, Zhao Gang Wen, Zhongtong Yao. Abstract. It is known that quantum statistics of quasi-particles in 2 plus 1 space-time dimensions beget anions beyond the familiar statistics of bosons and fermions, while Verlind formula dictates the consistent anion statistics. Okay, that... <laughs> what? <laughs> the structure of that sentence is like, here's some background before we get to the relevant part of this abstract. And I, like you, John, I'm like, cool, I don't know the background either, much less will I get the thing that is new in this paper. Yeah, my, my favorite part of that is the, the familiar statistics of bosons and fermions, which oh. we are all already here for. We know this. Um. Really, yes, we all know. It is known. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. I, I, I want to write like that. I, mm. I think that's, that's gorgeous. I, but I, I mean, look, looking, at, looking through this, the, some of the terms, mutual braiding statistics, mm -hmm. world lines, the whole, the whole thing of surgery is what grabs me I, I, because it's like, it's something that you know they're not talking about what you think they're talking about. Right. <laughs> but it's like, they're probably mm. not stitching together formulas, but that's about as close as my brain's offering. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's imagery. That's, mm -hmm. I, I like that it, it can work that way. And, you know, a, a lot of the, the jargon and terms in here, they kind of, they pique your interest um, mm -hmm. and they kind of give you something like a vague visual quality but you you know that it's not what they're talking about and somehow that's that feels really nice to just kind of have it handed over to you and say this this is yours i know you're not going to get it but take this word and make something from it and, and let it be what you see it as ra rather than as what it is um, that's that's really interesting. That, the characters really... who wrote this would probably also be like, "Fuck you, man! This, yeah. this means exactly what it means." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this is a very specific thing. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I, <laughs> just informed me that I, I have been uh, fawning over you too much. Um, and, no, uh, <laughs> that's all. We're coming up on time, so uh, <laughs> we we do want to get to the second reading before we come up because uh, uh, this. The second reading that you brought in uh, is uh, the first five pages of Triptych by uh, the French writer Claude Simon, which is a book that uh, I, I guess, it, do you want to go into this a little bit? Um, do we want to do a brief reading of maybe the first little bit of the first page before we start and, and then kind of um, go into why you brought this in and what you think of it? I liked Emily reading the other thing, um, if yeah. you want to sure. read this too. Just first couple sentences? Yeah, please. Okie dokie. Triptych by Claude Simon. The postcard shows an esplanade bordered by a row of palm trees standing out against a sky of too bright a blue at the edge of a sea of too bright a blue. A long cliff of blinding white facades with rococo decorations follows the curve of the bay in a gently sweeping arc. Exotic shrubbery and clusters of Canaz are planted between the palm trees, forming a bouquet in the foreground of the photograph. Um, and then the, it continues to describe the image on the postcard. So yes, so uh, well, well, what is it that attracted you to this? And what, what exactly uh, do you want to draw our attention to in bringing this in with, with you, John? Um, well, I, I, will, I will note that Claude Zaman is a Nobel Prize laureate uh, mm -hmm. in literature, which I think is interesting and, and, you know, wonder what, what it would be like for, for someone like him to receive the award today. Mm -hmm. And, and just because his, mm -hmm. his actual like textural approach to prose and writing is, is so unlike what people are comfortable reading these days. Um, mm -hmm. so I just, yeah, just curious what, what that would be like today. But the the reason I brought this to our attention is because it's it, based on what I'm working on right now, I would say it's a cross-pollination of the science or math article with Claude Simon's kind of approach to what the totality of a book is, which mm -hmm. the the idea of the book being a triptych is that there's kind of three different scenes mm -hmm. that 
are existing simultaneously in the book. And if you think of a triptych painting, typically it's something that you see all at once. You don't, you're not turning pages uh, to see one image, then the next image, then the next image. There's a central image, and then there's two flanking images, and they're, they're concurrent. And I think that his approach to the book is, is trying to embody that as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, all, although, as I said, the book exists in its totality all at once, mm-hmm. one cannot read it that way. <laughs> You do have to turn pages and and look from bit to bit. But I think the overarching experience is more akin to your eye moving across a series of three separate images that are all available to you at once. And that your eye is not just going to like work its way through them. It's probably going to bounce around. So his, the text is, is kind of, for lack of a more technical term, smeared together all of these different um, scenarios or scenes and even in in talking about like the postcard type thing he starts almost entering into the postcard and and occupying it and not Mm -hmm. just describing what's in it but elaborating thickening what's going on um, in the image almost like so I've been watching Mary Poppins with my son a lot and like Mm -hmm. they (laughs) go into a chalk drawing of a English countryside Mm -hmm. and they, you know, you see the English countryside and then they go into it and explore it deeply Mm -hmm. and go, you know, they go sabotage a fox hunt and they do whatever else uh, inside the chalk drawing. So there's, there's a lot more going on within the frame than just what you can see. Mm -hmm. But I think Mm -hmm. the, the idea that interests me the most is the way he uses his, structure and texture of the book to allow these things to be simultaneous and that's not Mm -hmm. a new thing for him that's Mm -hmm. that's how most of his books work but Mm -hmm. but this is the one that i've read most recently i i gave myself a task of trying to finish reading all his books so um Mm -hmm. this is the most recent one i've gotten to yeah speaking of structure the of the five pages that you sent us john it's there's no paragraph breaks. It's really Correct. a wash. Yeah. So I think like that structure is reinforcing the like being washed over by the scene, being like completely absorbed in this. Um, I think that's a a fitting craft choice if mm-hmm. if the writer is trying to make you experience something in a way that feels kind of unmoored from your our usual time mm-hmm. experiences. Um, yeah, and, yeah, that's that's a great way to describe it. Um, and I want, like, we see this block text format, and, and uh, Simone is not the only writer to do this, uh, who immediately comes to mind. We talked about Fernanda Melcor and her book Hurricane Season, which does a similar thing. There's a little bit of more paragraph breaking in there, but it is also certainly walls of text for each chapter, and also um, Thomas Bernard. And, and they write in a more, you know, I would, you know, quote-unquote traditional narrative structure and I wonder when we're looking at something like this, like this work by Simone and, and this very like imagistic, uh, heavily reliant on description uh, here, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm wondering if you're, what your thoughts are on like the difference between doing that in this way that is exclusively uh, pertaining to image versus what that does when attempting to use this sort of block form as narrative. Ben, can I just repeat that question to make sure I understand it? Yeah, please. You're saying like Claude Simone here... Fernanda Melcor in Hurricane Season, which Ben showed me an excerpt of a few episodes ago, like there was a lot of story happening. Like things were in motion, actions were being mm-hmm. taken. We could like follow as a plot happened. Um, here it's a similar technique, like a, it feels like creating a wall of text, but it's describing a still image, still image after still image. So it's not like about change so much, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Huh, interesting. So what's the question? Is the question like uh, just more than me? <laughs> if there was a to it, yeah, it's just more the question is like, what, what, what do we, what do you kind of think the difference is in using this kind of block text form in if you are just attempting to be purely descriptive versus what it does in a narrative context? Yeah, I, I guess there's. I don't want to say there's a limited amount of things you can do with text in a book, but mm-hmm. there kind of are. <laughs> and um, some sometimes a similar kind of texture or format might be valuable to different 
approaches or different goals. And I think that say both what you're describing, I have I've not read that other book, but mm-hmm. I, I'm curious now. Um, they both seem like they are valid or like congruent approaches to the the goal that they have. But I'm 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 interested in like you know what kind of words that person would use in that other book and and how they would how the prose would work in that kind of block format and mm-hmm. you know I, I think of like i don't know like of reading virginia wolf or something that's a much more interior monologue mm-hmm. um that would work very effectively with that same kind of reading format whereas claude simon is a very surface oriented read where you're you're focused on the appearance and qualities of things mm-hmm. much less than psychology mm-hmm. um but you know they they both use that technique in different ways and and draw out different potentials from it i guess mhm mhm absolutely absolutely yeah well, John, million-dollar question. Yes. How would you turn this into a writing uh, exercise? <laughs> um, so either of these, uh, any of the topics we talked about, really, yeah. we like to take the time to specifically pull out either a writing exercise, um, a, a subject matter prompt, or, or um, a revision exercise. Even how would you turn these things that you think are cool into an exercise that people can go home and try on the next time they're doing their own writing. Yeah, I, like I said, I don't have a, a writing education. So my, my education and what I teach other people is about architecture. So I don't, I don't know exactly what a writing class looks like. Um, but I guess for, for my purposes, I guess, I guess the things that I sit down to make myself do are writing prompts to a certain extent. So Mm -hmm. um, I guess what, what I would, what I would encourage someone to try to do is get out of their own head um, Mm -hmm. and not write about their thoughts Mm -hmm. (laughs) at all. Um, I I think that that's, that is, uh, I, I would say that that's probably a key thing that I think is, would be challenging for people these days. You know, there's a preponderance of autofiction and like sincerity that seems like it's supposed to be drawn out of someone's direct experience or mm-hmm. um, an investment in their own personal psychology. And mm-hmm. so I think my encouragement would be try getting outside of that and looking at the surface of things and don't, and don't let yourself get inside them. <laughs> Don't let yourself experience how they make you feel. Just just look at them and use words in relation to them, whether you're describing them or you are elaborating upon them. So the, the idea of, of thickening or almost like you are, you're looking at a, a constellation and the conceit of Orion or whatever that you're, you're <laughs> this hunter who's, who's standing there in the sky um, you're starting to distill it down into these increments that you can elaborate upon. And mm. um, yeah, I don't, I don't have like a. I think a that's perfect. Um, I yeah. think that'll oh, do. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that's exactly the you know to write to the surface of things to not not involve yourself. I think you're absolutely right that that's something that not a lot of writers are approaching, and that that's a absolutely a technique that can be utilized to try to find find something new in, in someone's writing. Absolutely. Can I offer something tangentially related? Mm-hmm. Please. This is a uh, suggestion for actually when you give feedback on other people's writing. So more of a like workshop um, mm. exercise or best practice. But um, I love the workshop strategy of before you start talking about what you liked about it or what you think is not working or what remaining questions you have about this thing that you're, whatever piece of writing you're trying to give your friend feedback on, start by just identifying what you think their intention is and repeating mm-hmm. that out loud mm-hmm. back to them. Mm-hmm. I like mm-hmm. really agree, John. Like you have to evaluate writing 
not based on some objective truth, I'm using air quotes, or objective goodness, but mm -hmm. based on what is this piece of writing's goal and is it accomplishing that goal? Mm -hmm. So just like a feedback exercise, a best practice that like really, I think, then I don't know if you agree or disagree with this or if you knew me well enough before this started happening in the MFA, but I think it took my feedback to my friends to a much better level. Like mm -hmm. I started always just restating what I think the intention is before I started to give feedback and mm -hmm. I just found myself like getting a lot more out of my friends' writing and being able to speak not just a little bit more intelligently on writing that's trying to do something that I don't read a ton of or, you know, don't, mm. don't aren't an expert in that kind of goal. Absolutely agreed. Uh, to understand so, something and where it comes from before attempting to, you know, make judgment of it is, is you know, good advice not just in writing but in life probably. Word. <laughs> yeah. 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 It also helps the person in that it, reveals to them what <laughs> what other people are getting from it. Mm -hmm. So I, I always mm -hmm. say that to my students, like, yeah. so what, what I see that you're doing is this, mm. is that what you think you're doing? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because mm -hmm. that's what I'm getting from it. Mm -hmm. And maybe you want to change your goals, change mm -hmm. how your goals are being manifested. That's mm -hmm. kind of your two, your two options right now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. thank you very if, much, John. Yeah, go ahead. I've, I've found that kind of feedback of course. so helpful. So helpful. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, before we go, uh, we'd like to close out with a recommendation. Uh, John, is there anything that you've been listening to or watching or observing in the world that you think is has been bringing you some sort of happiness over the past week, weeks, or months uh, that you'd like to share with the audience? Anything you want to recommend? I have been watching the early 90s direct-to-video sequels to the Amityville movie. Oh, okay. And I really am enjoying those. I never I never saw them at the time. I saw one through three, I guess, which is basically, I think those were all the, the theatrical releases. But the, the, the whole idea of Amityville or the word Amityville is not intellectual property it's not owned by anybody so at this oh. point there's like amityville shark attack amityville <laughs> zombie <laughs> apocalypse and, and all that stuff but in the in the the 90s there was people making the series of amityville sequels that they were all about like super tangential relationships to the original story so there's like amityville mm -hmm. dollhouse which is <laughs> like a dollhouse that looks like the, the house <laughs> from the original Amityville that like possesses this other family in California. And then there's like one about a clock that happened to be in the original house and then a mirror. Mm. Um, but they're just, I, I didn't really understand this concept before, but there's, I guess the post slasher boom of the eighties and the pre scream meta horror boom mm. of the mid 90s there was mm -hmm. like this sweet spot of just completely batshit <laughs> horror movies direct-to-video horror movies that are tonally a train wreck like mm -hmm. they're funny they're dumb mm -hmm. they're horrifying that yeah i've i've really been enjoying those and they're all on tubi so oh, awesome get your tubi on tubi free tv yeah. yeah yeah nice yeah there's just so many awful movies on there. It's incredible. <laughs> As in a, a fellow traveler in the awful movies uh, realm, I will have to check that out. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Emily. Oh, man. Okay, well, actually, the direct-to-TV, direct-to-cassette type mm -hmm. movies from the 90s has made me think of this. I am recently just appreciating books as physical objects that I will never have to download new software for or <laughs> close a pop-up ad for. I am sick and tired of pop-up ads every time I try to read an yeah. interesting news article. I'm going nuts. Yeah. Um, so my recommendation is books as physical objects that will never interrupt your reading experience <laughs> with commercial recommendations. And additionally, wow. uh, request for help if anyone has pop up more pop up blocker recommendations or like stop telling me to subscribe <laughs> to stuff recommendations. Please do email us. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, excellent! A wonderful recommendation. Yeah. Um, 
No, yeah, and also they can't take away your license. You actually get to own the book if you own the real thing. So that's yeah, that's not a good. subscriber base. I yeah. I really wanted to read this news article. It was about. It was. I just read the headline. It was about like earthworms are actually invasive in most mm-hmm. of North America and are mm-hmm. not good for your soil. I know nothing else about it wow. because I couldn't get the fucking article. <laughs> but now you're killing every earthworm that you see on basic. <laughs> yeah, now I'm gonna spend the rest of my life like, well, are earthworms good or bad? <laughs> Do we like or dislike earthworms? <laughs> Excellent. We'll never know. Uh, we'll never know. Yeah. Right, uh, my recommendation is, uh, since you mentioned uh, metal earlier, John, I, I'm going to recommend uh, the album Claustrophobic Dysentery by the band Cabinet uh, on Bloody Mountain Records. You can find Whoa. that on Bandcamp. Uh, great, uh, you know, absolutely crushing kind of death black metal album. Uh, really good stuff. Um, as far as I know, they are not Nazis. Um, I do. I have not done enough research to say that for sure. I don't know if Bloody Mountain Records is one of those that it has a strict no NS policy, but they may be. So, you know, definitely do your own research there. Um, but by what I know, uh, it's pretty, pretty fucking good and pretty hard. Death metal is usually not the realm for that anyway. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. yeah no. Okay, That's questions. great. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. A couple Hell questions yeah. on metal, you guys. First, there are so many Nazis in metal. <laughs> you always have to vet them for not being Nazis when you find a new metal, metal band. Um, and second, is this part of the genre you mentioned earlier that like the first song on a metal album is often just kind of like vibe-setting, yeah. vocalizations? Is that just part of the genre? Yeah, it's a big part of the genre for sure. It depends on where you go, but you get a lot of, you know, ambient track of just like a synthesizer. Maybe there's some horror movie samples, like, uh, yeah. or, or, or just a guy kind of, you know, like, like John said, gurgling into the microphone for a little while. <laughs> you know, some are better than others, but yeah. <laughs> what? I don't yeah. love it. I don't love mm-hmm. it. That's I. I mm-hmm. There's one album I've been listening to basically on repeat for several months. Uh, it's the first extermination dismemberment album. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first song is just like an ambient intro. And I've just, I've, I listen to music on my foobar player on my computer mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I just deleted, I just deleted that track so that I can just <laughs> like listen to continuous destruction over and over. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I don't love I don't love those, but yeah, it is it is definitely a feature. And then also Emily, if you if you are not familiar, there's also one at the end that's called the outro. Mm-hmm. So you have the intro track and the outro track. Mm-hmm. Oh boy, more gurgling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, usually, yeah. <laughs> you know, it could be like uh, you know, if the beginning is gurgling, the the end might be like a more ambient thing because you're you're dead. And uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's more like yeah. you know, you're just floating in the ether at that point. Yeah. Yeah, various, some, various approaches. Sometimes it's chanting in Latin, you know, you, or, you know, the toning of funeral bells kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> Classics. And, uh, and the Nazi question is, well, it, it wasn't a problem for a while, but in the early 90s, specifically in the black metal yeah. community, um, there, there is an influx of white supremacists as the founders of kind of the second wave of that genre, and then that ideology ended up kind of, you know, being not kicked out of the scene and is sadly prevalent. It, and it's not, you know, most bands are not that way, but there's always the worry that no. they are. Like, yeah. So what yeah. I'm hearing you say is that Nazis like to gurgle. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. Discreet. They they if we're, if we're gonna turn this into a metal podcast, we, we might want to record another episode. But, uh, yeah. uh, thank you so I'm ha- I'm happy to join in for that one. Yeah, uh, I would love to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I hit hit up Ben for his other uh, media based podcast, um, the yeah. Three Locos. Three Locos is my other media podcast where uh, me and two friends from high school uh, goof on uh, garbage and generally act like idiots and occasionally dunk talk on, about dunk on Okay, I'll check it out. <laughs> thank um, you, John. John, thank you so much for joining us. Where yeah. can people find out more about you online? Oh. 
I guess Google. I did I did delete my Twitter account and my mm-hmm. my personal webpage is just links to writing, so mm-hmm. there's okay. not really the that's plenty. There's yeah. nothing interesting about my personal life, so no one needs to find out about that. Yeah, uh, I'll link your writing webpage. We we can link your neutral spaces, and then we can also link your. Um, we'll link the inside the castle website for anyone who's curious. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Cool. Super duper. Well, right. thank you all for listening to this episode of the Good Writing Podcast. You can yeah. find uh, me and Ben on Twitter at Good Writing Pod. Or if you'd like to send us an email, we would love your whatever weird fan mail occurs to you or hate mail. I don't, whatever mail in an electronic format, we'll take it at goodwritingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.